0: On with the episode. Vibrant 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 Vibrant. Music Teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for For music music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today I want to encourage you to sit on the floor. Okay, okay. You don't actually have to literally sit on the floor if you have bad knees. Any other reason that makes it difficult for you to do so. But when I read this week's article, which was by the wonderful and amazing Rosemary Penner, so glad she's written a few articles for us at this stage, she wrote about taking a human approach to technology. And as I read through it, and she talks about relationship building and so much more, yes, technology ideas for doing those things, but putting the people first. So as I read through this article, what came into my head, strange as my brain may be, is a song. And the song is something that we use in our preschool curriculum, which is called Mini Musicians. And somewhere along the way, my husband picked up this song. Maybe he heard me doing it or one of our other teachers doing it in a class. I can't remember. But anyway, we sing it around my house all the time because we're those kind of people. So it goes, everybody sit down, sit down down sit down everybody sit down on the floor not on the ceiling not on the door not on each other but on the floor and I sing that all the time around the house and I change the words all the time it doesn't always have to be sit on the floor but it's just one of the tunes that goes round and round our house the other one, if you're curious, is Feeling Good, which is uh, Samantha Coates wrote repertoire piece. So one of her wrote songs is called Feeling Good and it goes bah, 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 feeling good. It doesn't actually say feeling good on the music we made up that, um, that the words to the tune. But anyway, <laughs> since we are feeling good and we are sitting on the floor, here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about being on students level. Because that's why that song came into my head. It's about literally sitting on the floor in many cases. Because where I got my start with big changes in my teaching. I started being a very traditional teacher in my teen years. And where things really started to change for me was when I was in my early 20s and I took on preschool students. And I would literally sit on the floor to play games with them, to do puzzles, to I don't know, wriggle around. We did various things on the floor. And I continued that for a long time. I now actually have a table to play games on. But still, sometimes I sit on the floor when we're playing with the floor staff or things like that. And the reason I bring that up is that it literally brings me onto the student's level, which I think is important. Now, the literal part is not important. A student will perfectly understand if you stay in a chair because you can't sit on the floor. That's fine. But by being on their level and looking them in the eye. It's like that common advice in like parenting shows. There used to be this show called Nanny something on BBC or Channel 4. I don't know, one of the UK stations. I feel like it was Nanny McPhee, but that's a film, isn't it? Anyway, it was a nanny show and she comes in and makes everything super duper and implements timeout spots and all this sort of thing. But she would always talk about going down to the kids level to talk to them. So this is a similar idea, but it's not about punishment or correcting behavior. It's about the difference between the old idea of a teacher in general, not just a music teacher and anything teacher. And that idea is of a dispenser of information, right? It's like the students come to school and you're the vending machine, not even the vending machine, that implies choice. You're just the canteen line right like in a school where there's literally only one choice and the food just appears and like it or lump it that's it so you don't want to be that anymore but that's the old idea where you just the students show up and you give them the information and you give it to them again and again and again and make them repeat it back to you so that they've definitely got it in their head exactly the way you said it and they go on their way this dispenser of information model is what Always made my father, who is retired now, but he was worked in architecture and he actually lectured in architectural technology. And so he would sometimes sit in and do the interview process with new architecture students. (laughs) My dad is an interesting guy, so he would ask them an interesting question that just made them have to think a bit laterally, right? It wasn't quite to the degree of like those Google questions that you hear about how many ping pong balls fit inside a jumbo jet. It wasn't quite like that, but he would ask them something maybe they weren't expecting. And he was always so frustrated, he would lament the fact that students these days, and I would argue in his day too, (laughs) students don't think. They just regurgitate information. That's what he would always say. And that comes from this idea that the teacher just gives you stuff and you take it in and that's your job in school. And things have slowly started shifting, I believe, in schools and outside schools in all forms of education so that the teacher is just this not not this infallible source because we have the Internet for that now. And I'm not saying the Internet is always everything true. But what teachers can do is help students navigate that information and discern that's what they should be doing. The old idea of the teacher also includes this super strict mode, right? The teacher decides what's best for you, and you learn it, you do it because they said so, and you stay quiet, keep your limbs to yourself (laughs) while you do it, sitting politely on your school chair. Let's transition to the modern idea then. Cause none of us really wants to be that type of teacher. I don't think it's possible that you're listening to this podcast and you want to be that old stereotype. But what is the modern idea? I believe in the modern version of the teacher, they are sometimes a coach. They're sometimes someone to hold students accountable to their practice in our case, to trying their best. We're also there in large part to guide them through concepts. We provide the structure we decide the route because they don't know what they don't know, so we have to hold their hands and take them along the road. The modern idea of a teacher also includes inspiration, which is pretty foreign, I think too many of those old styles of teachers. We're the inspirer. We're supposed to motivate students. We're most supposed to make them care. We're also, I believe, a great teacher is a fellow explorer. We're someone that can play with them that can go down to their level and experience it the way that they do. So if you look at these things carefully, yes, this modern idea sounds more appealing in many ways and maybe you're on board with me with many of these ideas, but let's also acknowledge that it's harder. It's much easier to be the teacher who just says, here's the information, repeat after me, 10 times slowly and off you go. It's much harder to shift between being a coach and being a mentor, and being a guide, and being an inspiration. It is harder. And one of the things I believe in with my students is always acknowledging the difficulty. Not ignoring it, not glossing over it, not saying, no, 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 no it's easy, but acknowledging it. And moving forward with that and saying, yes, it is it is difficult. This is a challenge, but we're going to do it together. So it's harder, but it's also more rewarding. We know that. Aside from actually sitting on the floor with your students, how can we show students that we're on their level? Because if we want to be this modern version of a teacher, we have to demonstrate to them that we are with them. Yes, we have more knowledge than them. I'm not saying we don't, but we are working on their level. We're working with them. We value them as a person. The first suggestion I would make is to use their words. But caveat, not their slang, okay? I'm not saying you have to say whatever the latest word is. And I'm not gonna use one because I might misuse it. I'm demonstrating to you here and now that I do not attempt to use words that 13, 15, 20-year-olds use. But what you can do is use their literal words, the way that they describe things. If they're accurate right so if they say a staccato note is bouncy and you prefer crisp i don't know sometimes use the word bouncy i often do this by saying things like kinda and my students know yeah they shouldn't write that down on a test but it means more to them than quite or moderately loud or whatever the case may be so kinda sorta i do use those words now that might not feel natural to you and that's fine But using the way that students describe things, their language is important. You also need to take an interest in their music and they need to be able to see that. This isn't just asking them or letting them know they can bring you requests when they have them. Many students won't actually take you up on that. But if they come into the class humming a little tune, ask them, oh, what's that? If they play a little piece of something on the piano while you're doing another task and they're waiting for you, ask them what it is. Take an interest in it. Don't say, what's that? Say, oh, cool. What's that? Sometimes when my students do this, they tell me, oh, I just made it up. I was just noodling. I say, cool. That's great. Sometimes they say, oh, uh, it, I think it was in a film I was watching earlier. And I realize, oh, this student is developing wonderful ears. This is amazing. If you take an active interest in their music, these moments will come up more often. If this ends like, well, I've never see my student do that or they never talk to me about their music, start to open up that conversation and it will open up more and more. It's also important to show students that you listen to them. And this involves picking things up next week that they said last week. I'll be the first to admit I can't always do this, right? I have about 24, 25 students of my own right now. We have 70 students total in Colourful Keys and I interact with many of those students outside of my own. So I can't always say, oh, how did your GAA match go? Or how was that science test? But I try to at least do it sometimes. I do my best to listen actively when they tell me little tidbits about their lives and pick it up next time. If you have a chatterbox student, this can be more challenging, actually, because they tell you too much information and also you don't want to pick it up next time And then they go off on some tangent (laughs) that you can't interrupt without being impolite. If that's the case, and you know that's the case with your student, make sure to keep the introductory talk to a minimum, you know, take enough interest, but wrap it up and swiftly move on to the music. And then with bringing up the things from last week, do that at the end of the lesson. On their way out the door, just say, oh, by the way, how did such and such go? And since they're already in motion, they probably won't stop at the door to tell you a long rambling story about it maybe they will and you'll have to adjust next time if so you also need to show you're prepared and this might sound an odd one about being on students level building a relationship I remember from teachers of my own and maybe this is a particular personality thing but certain teachers I had who clearly did not prepare for class and they were perfectly pleasant, but they showed up to class and this wasn't really my music teachers. I'm thinking of classroom teachers here, but the same thing applies. If you show up to your lessons and you're not ready and you say, oh, um, let's do this thing or maybe we'll try this. Oh, how about what's the next song in your book? Those kinds of things. It's fine once in a while. I'm not saying you have to be completely and utterly rigid and prepared in that way but you do need to be ready because kids pick up on more than you think. I remember this from being a kid. So if you have even one child like me, chances are they are going to start to lose respect for you or just the interest in developing a relationship with you if it seems like you don't care about teaching them. And maybe preparedness doesn't feel that way to you, but that's the way it felt to me on the receiving end as a kid. So I can just tell you that if a teacher was continually not prepared for their lessons I wasn't that interested in developing a relationship with them because they feel more transient they feel more like well you might quit this job tomorrow <laughs> why should I invest in you not that I was thinking those thoughts as a child but that's the feeling I had another thing you would need to do to show students that you are this modern version of a teacher that you are not coming from on high is to explain why things are happening they're not everything And certainly not always with the youngest, youngest students. Um, You wouldn't want to explain every detail because it'll result in a series of why, but why, but why that, but why that. But especially as students get older, and at least every so often, explain why things are happening. I'm giving you this book because you need help with this, or I want you to, to help you prepare for this, which I know you really want to learn later. Just a brief sentence so that they know that you've thought about it. And it's about them. You're thinking about them. It's like the difference between a gift someone gets you because they think they would love it. And a gift someone gets to you because they've thought about you and your particular interests and wants and likes. Speaking of interests, make sure you give your students choices. Now, they don't have to choose everything, but they have to choose some elements. And especially things that don't matter to you either way. So when your student gets to the stage of doing a supplemental book, adding something into their method book work, basically anything past the beginning stages, give them a choice, give them at least three books to choose from and let them listen to those. You can look them up online and let them listen to the tracks. Or you can play for them if you have time to do that. Let them listen to the three choices and pick their favorite. Pick three that you would be equally happy with. It's really easy to do that. If you think, oh no, I would only want them to do this book next. Well, you haven't explored the repertoire that's out there yet. Because there's so many cool books. And taking this approach where you give students choice and you have more books in your toolkit, in your teaching bag, I guess. You're going to be listening to more diverse music throughout the week. And isn't that more fun for you? So make sure you're giving students choices over their repertoire, over recital pieces when you can, if it's not going to clash with another student. And the final one is really important, and that is to admit when you don't know. Remember we want to be a fellow explorer with our students? Well, that means sometimes you won't know the answer. Sometimes you'll be doing lead sheet playing or arranging or improvising some area that you're not an expert in, and that may be different areas for you, and something will come up, and you won't be sure of the answer. Or there'll be a really unusual term on a score and you don't know it. Look it up together. Or tell them that you'll look it up for them later and get back to them. I always appreciated so much when my teachers did that because it showed that they respected me enough not to lie (laughs) and make something up. And they also valued my question enough to think it was interesting and wanted to look it up together or later. So your one thing this week is to catch yourself when you're acting like the teacher on high, and we all do it from time to time, so just catch yourself in the act and adjust your language or cues. Try to find one moment this week to do that hope you enjoyed this exploration of sitting down on the floor with me whether you're able to sit on the floor or not let me know what you thought of today's show you can find me on instagram at colourful keys or leave a comment on the site where you can also read rosemary's article that's it for this episode i'll see you next week One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up.